So my goal is to figure out what the other person is thinking, learn their habits, stalk them, <laughs> and come up with just the right strategy to get them to bite down on Jesus. And it's no wonder people find evangelism intimidating. <laughs> because that's almost 100% wholly wrong. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou You didn't think the fishing rod was just for the children's sermon, did you? <laughs> Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that your light has shone into our world through Jesus Christ, dispelling the gloom of our own darkness. Bless us, Lord, that we may receive this light with great thanksgiving and respond to his call and his command, even as we respond to his grace his mercy, and his love. These things we ask through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So when I was 15, the summer before I discovered fumes, that's perfumes and car fumes, because the two kind of go together. You get your driver's license, you get to discover girls too. And, uh, but the summer before that, Fishing was my obsession. And growing up in a non-religious family, I had a different Bible than most of my friends. It was this wonderful hardcover book my father had bought me called Practical Black Bass Fishing. And I spent all my free time with that book that summer. Um, it was... It was amazing because right down the street I, I grew up surrounded by farmland. I had a 500 acre farm on this side of my house and another 500 acre farm on that side. And the one on this side, Old Man Plouse had dynamited a big hole in the ground around a spring so that we had an acre and a half of irrigation pond to go fishing in. And in 1963, six years before I was born, he had stocked that pond with largemouth bass. And so in the summer before I learned how to drive, I had a ready occupation any time in the afternoon I had finished my chores for the day. And that was rain or shine, I could walk the quarter mile down to the irrigation pond and throw my fishing line in. And this would have been, how would have been, 85. So the fish that had been put in in 63 had had a chance to grow. And there were some what they call lunkers hidden in there. 
And I knew that if I worked hard enough, I could find one of them. And so this book became my roadmap. And I loved doing that because in the middle of that, in the process of reading that book, what I discovered that fishing wasn't just luck, that there was a science to it and a skill and an art. And it became a hunt, it became a game, it became me against the fish. That was probably about an even match. <laughs> considering they call fish stomachs with eyes. <laughs> it tells you where my brain was. But, um, but I loved learning that, for instance, there was a reason why the one lure I had never worked, and that was because it was the wrong color for that kind of water. Those ki the kind of fish it was meant to imitate didn't live in that water, and as stupid as a bass is, it's not that stupid to bite on something that doesn't live in the water. So I had to learn the local fauna. I had to find lures that were the right color and the right um, patterns on them if I wanted to have a hope of catching a fish. I had to learn where the trees were that had been left after the dynamiting was done so that I could find the stumps because around the stumps is where you were most likely to find the fish. And I had to learn that Largemouth bass don't like sunlight, so a beautiful sunny day like the one we're having today would not be the ideal day to fish. You wanted to fish the shadows around the edge of the pond if you hoped to catch anything. And I learned that towards the end of the summer, when the oxygen in the water got real low, you could see these little, at, around sunset, you'd be, I called them boilers. You'd see it looked like lots of little bubbles coming up. What it was is it was all the bait fish coming to the surface to grab a little oxygen by taking along with their water through their gills a gulp of the air. Well, under that, the, the, pre the, the predator fish would come underneath and every once in a while you'd see this because they'd go up and grab something. And I found that that was a great place to fish. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing and it was a great occupation for a 15-year-old boy and I loved it. So later on, fast forward 10 years, and at age 25 I become a Christian and I read these words of Jesus, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I thought, hey, this I understand. So my goal is to figure out what the other person is thinking, learn their habits, stalk them, <laughs> and come up with just the right strategy to get them to bite down on Jesus. And it's no wonder people find evangelism intimidating. <laughs> because that's almost 100% wholly wrong. Because here's the deal, like so many things in the modern world, fishing has become a solo activity. We are all, as one sociologist put it in his most famous book, bowling alone in the modern world. But fishing was not originally something you did alone. Can you go to the next slide, Ryan? This is how you fished in Jesus' day. Did you notice in the stories we just heard the prominence of nets? One family's throwing them in, one family's mending them. Fishing was something you did with multiple people because you fished with a net and survival was at stake. One summer, I actually did win the competition at the local uh, hunter-angler store for the fattest bass fishing in that little pond. I pulled in a bass that looked more like a flounder than a bass. And he wasn't the longest, but he was the heaviest in my age category, so I got to win. But it's a good thing I wasn't fishing to survive because that summer I didn't catch enough fish to survive. <laughs> you used a net because you had to catch enough to survive. And it was a family activity. 
If you weren't out casting the net, if you weren't strong enough to pull it back in that day, maybe you were one of the children in the family, your job, as they brought the, brought the nets in and there were lots of fish in the net, your, one of your first jobs was to take the smaller fish and throw them back outside the net. Because you wanted to make sure that there was enough fish next summer when you were hungry to catch. You might be responsible for taking them up as you grew a little bit older, learning how to clean them, how to salt them, even how to smoke them so that they could be preserved so you could have food for those times when there was little food. As we saw with Zebedee's family, someone had to mend the nets. That was frequently the occupation of the people who never went out on the water. Back at home while you're sitting around an oil lamp in the evening, everyone was working on the nets, fixing the holes that had been put in, punched in the nets the day before in the fishing. And of course, then you had to have those who had gotten too weak to even do that. They were the repository of the lore. It was their job to pass on the stories of what were the best spots in the lake to fish. What was the best technique? What was the best time of day? They didn't have books like practical black bass fishing. And so they passed on their wisdom generation to generation. And you were the most valuable player as the possessor of that wisdom. Not the least valuable player because you couldn't work a net anymore. It was a family affair. And if you remember from the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is left in Jerusalem at age 12, families moved in much larger circles than simply mom, dad, and kids. It was the whole extended family gave themselves to these efforts. And that's how fishing was done. And you can't tell it in the English translation, but in the Bible that we just read from, I say you can't tell it in English. When Jesus says, come and I will make you fishers of men, you can't tell this in English because English doesn't distinguish between second person singular and second person plural. Second person singular is you, second person plural is you unless you live south of the Mason-Dixon line. And then you have a phrase for it. Y'all. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say, I'll make you fishers of men, you individuals. He says to them, I'll make y'all fishers of men. The whole family of God are called to be fishers. Fishers of people together as a family. And each of us has a role to play in that critical activity. Now Lutherans don't like to do this. But we're going to break from form this morning. And I'm going to ask you to do a little class participation here. If you value your relationship with God that you have through Jesus Christ, raise your hand. That is the most Lutherans you're ever going to see with their hands in the air at one time, okay? <laughs> but, that being the case, what it means to fish for people is to share that which is most valuable to you with someone else. You're not there to fix someone else's faith. You're not there to oppress them and push off your worldview on them. You're there to share something that is absolutely precious and central to your life with them. And each of us has a role to play. Some of us, it's our job to be throwing the nets. Michael and I get put in that role quite a bit. <laughs> Some people have to fix the net. 
Ever wondered what it takes to keep this building and property running so we can occupy it two hours a day, two hours on a Sunday? Some people are called to provide the snacks for the coffee hour and fellowship so we're a welcoming environment for people. That's called bait, folks. <laughs> Some people are called, as like I'm looking out the window here and I can, I can see our Sunday school class back there. Some people are called to teach, to clean, to help provide and fortify the fish that come in. And some people are called to be strong and haul up the nets together. The thing that happens though is that if one person, when you're pulling in this kind of net and you've got everyone in a ring around the edges, if one person drops the net, all the fish go out that side. Each of us has a role to play and we should not let the fact that we're called to do it as a team, as a family, we should not let that give us ourselves permission to renege on our part of the responsibility. There is no person in the church who doesn't have a valuable role to play in sharing Jesus with the world. What a joy we have that we've been caught, that we've been cleaned. And because of that, we have this incredible relationship with God. But there's one more thing needed in addition to our efforts. Would you go to the next slide? I'm going to fast forward you to another famous story in Scripture, the 21st chapter of John. After Jesus' resurrection, the fishermen have been at it again. Okay? They've all returned to their day jobs. Jesus was crucified. They figured that part of their lives is over. We better get back to what we know best, fishing. And they've been fishing all night, and they've caught nothing. And Jesus, resurrected, shows up and says, Hey, uh, try the other side of the boat. And they... Uh, being arrogant, which we tend to be as human beings, said, well, we've been trying all night. Humor me. Do it my way, Jesus says. <laughs> Throw it over that side of the boat. In one of my favorite passages of Scripture, they catch so many fish, they have to call their friends in to help them haul in the nets. In fact, the boat's getting swamped. And John actually counts the number of fish for us there. And that's, this is why it's one of my favorite passages. The number has absolutely no significance other than the fact that it just happened to be the number they caught that day. It's a wonderful historical detail by an eyewitness. And this, the lesson for us is that every family, every team needs a leader. And before I came to this congregation, when the congregation had experienced some difficult times, they unified around a single prayer, Thy will be done. And they kept praying that prayer over and over again until they were sure they knew what God's will was before they moved forward. They listened to the instruction of Jesus and Jesus told them where to fish and how. And in His power, a great catch has come in. But great catches are still to come in. So we must listen to the movement of the Spirit. We must listen to Jesus' voice through it. Lean back into His power and in His guidance. Do the things we've been called to do as the family of God. Mending nets, baiting hooks, casting lines, casting nets, or hauling them in. Whatever our role. Giving advice to us young whippersnappers who don't know what we're doing yet. <laughs> All of us have a role to play. 
And under Jesus' guidance, we can bring in a great catch. Not so we can fix people, but so that they can have that which is most precious to us. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, gracious Son and Holy Spirit, under your authority and guidance, in the power of your word, inspired by the Spirit, you have called us to be your children, not your grandchildren, not related to you because someone else has heard your call, but your children who gather at your table and feast upon your goodness and are called to go out and share that goodness with others. Strengthen us, Lord, and bless us to do just that. Whatever our role, make us quick to respond to your call. Make us obedient, for obedience delayed is obedience denied. Fill us with your grace, so we may be truly loving repositories of your love. And help us to share that which is most precious to us, our relationship with you, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light.